All right, well, you have your assignment. You're reading in Mein Kampf. And today we're going to begin talking about Adolf Hitler. Adolf Hitler. We've learned quite a bit so far about the modern world. We studied Karl Marx, George Orwell. Today we move on to one of the most important figures in the 20th century, Adolf Hitler. So he's born in 1889 in the country today called Austria. I've been to Austria. It's a beautiful, beautiful place. I mean, it really is like, you know, it's like Colorado on steroids. It's beautiful. <laughs> Massive mountains, beautiful valleys. The architecture is amazing. Really, really a great place. We went there and we visited all the sites of uh, the movie, uh, The Sound of Music. It was something my wife was into. So he's born in Austria, 1889. His dad died when he was 13 years old. Had to have been tragic. His mom, his mom soon died a little later. And, and a little, not too many people know this, but he was an artist. That was his passion growing up. And, uh, but after uh, moving to Vienna, the big city, as a teenager, he was eventually rejected from art school. And then later in 1913, he moved to another big city, a big city, the, one of the major cities of modern-day Germany named Munich. And he kind of wandered around, you know, single and restless, a rambling man, a, a sort of a restless man. And... Um, not too long after his move to Munich, World War I broke out, and he was drafted and, and went to fight in World War I, and eventually was relieved from his duty when he was blinded, partially blinded by a mustard gas explosion. Did y'all know that about Hitler? That's right. So, and, and we haven't covered this particular time period yet, but um, you do know that after World War I, which... Germany had a large part to play in, a very aggressive part. Um, many of the countries, in, uh, including the United States and England and France, we, we made Germany pay reparations for, um, for engaging in that war. And so Germany, after the war, um, became incredibly poor. The Great Depression struck in the 20s and 30s. And so Germany was filled with sort of young men, no religion, no Christ, no meaning, no economic success, just meaninglessness and purposelessness and economic downturns. And they turned to politics. A lot of people began turning to politics as a solution for all the woes of this world. And that's what Hitler did. Hitler, as a young man, got into politics and eventually he became the president of the National Socialist German Workers' Party. And does anyone know what that's short for? Or what is short for that? The Nazi party. Nazi. The German Nationalist Party. Nazi is what is a nickname for that. So eventually he is in politics. He's a party leader. Now what are our parties, our two predominant parties in our country? The, birthday the party. Democratic Party and the Republican. And then the birthday party with Kanye, right? Mm-hmm. Do y'all know about that? There's a Green Party and there's a Communist Party. There's a bunch of different parties. There's a 
constitutionalist party, I think, but the two main ones are Democratic and Republican. He becomes the party leader of the Nazi party, kind of a political organization. And then in 1923, the French invade and occupy a small portion of Germany near the French border. And they do this sort of as a threat. Germany is not paying their, their uh, reparations. They're, they're not making restitution for having aggressed in that war. <coughs> and so the German people are highly offended. You know, they have nationalistic pride. Remember we, when we studied nationalism under Lincoln and, and uh, others? Remember, what was nationalism? Anyone remember that? Like the nation state is supreme. Not the family, not the church, but the nation state. Remember what was one of Lincoln's primary objectives in the Civil War? To To keep the Union united. That was his primary goal. Nationalism. Well, you had German nationalism and French nationalism. It was spreading all over the world. It had been spreading for 150 years. Napoleon really gave it a kickstart. So the German people are highly offended that French troops are walking around in the streets. And the young men are just um, virulent. The young men are on fire. The young men are angry. And they're politically organizing these little mini-revolutions. Well, in protest of this French occupation, Hitler and his party, they organize a march on Munich. They even hire soldiers to participate in the march. Imagine a uh, you know an army marching into Washington D.C. That's what Hitler and his party organized. That's sort of what uh, what the Democratic Party blames Donald Trump for having organized a, a great insurrection on January sixth. That's what they they say. Well, this was a real insurrection with with weapons and soldiers and. Um, when the streets were in chaos and people were running around and it was wild and crazy down on the Capitol Square in, in uh, Munich, Adolf Hitler jumped up on a podium and began preaching, you know, prophesying. And have y'all ever heard any uh, of his uh, speeches or heard or seen what he is like? Very, very passionate, energetic, very gifted orator. And, uh, you know, that sort of oration wouldn't work these days. People would be put off by it. But um, in those days, it inspired awe and confidence. And he got up on a podium and he basically shouted, basically shouted, the, the German Nationalist Party revolution has arrived. You know, the, the revolution has broken out. Well, he, he spoke too soon on that. You know, he got a little carried away. He got a little ahead of himself and was arrested. The revolution did not break out. He was arrested, sentenced to prison. He spent about one year in jail. And guess what he did while he was in jail? No. He wrote Mein Kampf, My Struggle. That's right. So like John Bunyan who wrote Pilgrim's Progress in prison, right? Only an evil satanic prophet, Adolf Hitler, writes his, his prophecy in Mein Kampf. And you're going to be reading portions of it. You know, you can be you can be grateful to me that I'm not making you read the entire thing. Um, it's not a hard book to read. It's not it's not even a quarter of the difficulty that um, the Communist Manifesto was. 
it's not hard to read. It's easy reading. It's contemporary. It's written in a, in a you know, the common language. So it's not too hard to read. But it is, a lot of it is just kind of meaningless and, and not real relevant for us. And so that's why we're not reading necessarily all of it, just, just portions of it. So, um, but when you read it, you're going to see his philosophy. And, and one, of, one of the things I want you to do, is, is everyone listening in the back? One of the things I want you to do is I want you to read this and, and see if you can't spot some of this ideology in the world today. Because it's definitely still alive and well. And um, so one of the, uh, the few major aspects of the book, let's talk about that. Make sure you put it in your notes. One of them is that everyone is an enemy of the Volk. Now guess what Volk means? You can borrow some notes from someone else. Don't worry about it. Just listen. What's Volk? Anyone? What word, is it, what in, word in English does it sound like? Folk. Folk. Yeah, the folk, the Volk, yeah, Volkswagen, the people's wagon, the folk's wagon. That's where we get um, the word folk from. And he believed that everyone was an enemy of the German Volk. The Western democracies, he believed, were his enemy, England, America. And the Eastern communists, the Bolsheviks, they were his enemy as well. And he hated the communists more than he hated the um, English because he said the communists over there in Russia had Mongol blood in, in them, that they were intermarried with the Mongolians, so their race wasn't pure, so they massacred the Russians. And, uh, but they would usually just imprison and enslave the British when they would capture them in war. Everyone was an enemy of the Volk. But guess who the greatest enemy was? The Jews. That's right. You're going to read this philosophy. It's a very strange philosophy. Very Well, not strange. It's actually pretty common, but um, it's going to be strange to your ears. And it wasn't just the Jews. It was anybody with impure mixed blood. All right. So what was, the, what was wrong with the world according to Karl Marx? Alienation caused by um, economic forces that divided the world by classes and that through state uh, power and coercion and redistribution and annulment of private property, the world could be saved from its original sin of, of uh, disparity and inequality. And that's kind of Karl Marx. What was the world wrong with, uh, with Orwell? What's the, what's the great sin in Orwell's book in 1984? Like, well, yeah, totalitarianism. Like the overpowering state over the will of the human Remember we said, when you kick God out, who's, who becomes God? Man. But then you have two options historically in Western civilization. It's either, one, the man himself with the freedom to say two plus two is four. Or you remember Winston wants freedom as an individual to do what he wants. He, he wants that. But then their other philosophy, the philosophy which is true in communism, is that collective man is God. And so you see that individual man versus collective man, um, those philosophies making war with, with each other. Honestly, World War I, World War II, all the wars we fight are the, is that ideological fight. The solution in the Bible, of course, is Trinity uh, and covenant. And uh, we don't have time to talk about that, but that, that's the biblical solution. What was the, uh, the, the problem with the world with Lincoln? National disunity. That's right. What was the problem according to Rousseau? Society, family, religion, 
made people evil, but they weren't naturally evil. Right? They were born free, but everywhere society enslaved them. But what's the problem according to the Bible? Alienation from God causing alienation from man caused by sin. And the only solution is reconciliation of all things in Christ, which Jesus is currently up to. Right? That's the only solution, trust in Christ. But for Hitler, the problem was Jews and impure races. So now think about it. What would be the solution? He needs a plan to get rid of the impure races and not only that, to purify his own race, right? To create a master race. All right now, I want you to listen very carefully to this because I want you to see if this sounds familiar to anyone, all right? He believed that the future would have a pure race of Aryans, a new humanity. You know, y'all know what Aryans are? It's kind of the ethnic word for blonde-haired, blue-eyed Germans. Like what, we, what you might think of as like a Viking, right? He believed that the future would be a pure race of Aryans, blonde-haired, blue eyes. And, and remind me after the lecture, and we'll Google some pictures of what his, uh, his ideal race was. And ironically, he was not anything uh, remotely close to that. He was short and uh, dark-haired. And, and some people even believe part Jewish. So it's kind of interesting. And he was, in, in, in a sense, crafting a new humanity, a new German humanity. Right? And then that master race that he would create, and he would try to create them. You, if, if you know anything about his history, they would have forced breeding camps where they would pick out different people with pro- perfect genetics and make babies basically in factories. And, uh, and, and he, uh, anybody with impure blood would be hauled off and, and killed in the, in the um, crematoriums. And I've been to them before, the gas chambers. They would poison them and then burn them or bury them in mass graves. He's getting rid of the impure blood and reconstituting humanity. Isn't that something? Now, do you know anyone else who is reconstituting humanity? Well, Karl Marx wanted to reconstitute the, the structures of the world. That's right. But, but um, Hitler wants to reconstitute humanity itself, the nature of humanity, and, and create a master race. Do you know anyone else that's doing that? Who? Uh, maybe. This is, a, this is interesting. I wondered if y'all could see, if y'all would see this connection. Is there anyone who says... I'm going to build a new race. Abortion. Maybe let's call it a holy nation. And anyone who doesn't submit to my will and trust me and love me will be burned. And everyone who trusts me and loves me, we will together march and cover the earth and we will own the earth. A new humanity. It's God. That's the plan of the gospel. He's creating a new humanity in Christ, not in Adam. Right? Y'all understand that? Isn't that interesting? So Hitler says after he creates his master race that they would then march out and gain global dominion. Does that sound familiar? Sounds like Jesus. And of course, that's what World War II was largely about. He invaded Austria. He invaded um, 
Poland. He continued to invade portions of France and he tried to invade um, Russia. He's uniting the world in him and in his master race. Now, he didn't, he didn't believe that the other races wouldn't be allowed to exist at all. He just believed that the master race needed to be over the rest of the races. So his, uh, his ultimate eschatological view was almost like a two-kingdom idea that the master race would have a kingdom which would, would gain global dominion and the other races would be put in subjection but not united to him. They would, be, they would run parallel together throughout all time. And you know what he called this, this future day of global dominion? He called it the thousand-year reign. Yeah, a thousand-year Reich of global dominion by a new, newly constituted humanity in him. Okay, so who would come up with a plan like this other than Jesus? <laughs> The counterfeit Jesus, the counterfeit Jesus, Satan, right? The Walmart. I mean, the one. He's the the family dollar version. Yeah, um, the devil is a great uh, copycat. He really is. He's a great copycat. And and Hitler was no doubt um, highly influenced by demons. He was in the occult, he was into witchcraft and Satan worship. Um, the more you learn about him, the more you learn about he and his family members and the other members of his cabinet involved in seances and demon worship, all kind of stuff like that. I mean, he is an incarnation of a demon, a very powerful one. And he established this counterfeit gospel. And millions and millions and millions of people died <coughs> as a result of it. So you're going to read a little bit about his, his religion his eschatology, right? His view of what's going to go on in the world and how to go about doing it. Um, very, very interesting. So eventually, though, he is elected Chancellor of Germany, which is their highest, in a sense, their highest political position. You know, other members of his party resigned and other members in the government resigned, and he, he gained that political party. You see, because when he wrote Mein Kampf, it became an, a national bestseller. Like overnight, super popular. So now he's this uh, revolutionary. He's famous. He got arrested. He's courageous. He leads armies. He can speak really well. He writes this super popular book. And he's, he has name recognition. And he wins the elections. And he's the chancellor of Germany. You see, but the chancellor of Germany doesn't have all power. There's still a Congress. And there's a president. You know, there's other folks. But a fire breaks out in the congressional building. And as the building burns, the devil incarnate, Hitler, makes his plans. Now, we don't know exactly how the fire was started. Maybe there's some theories. But we do know who was blamed for starting the fire. The communists. The communists. There's communists everywhere. There's communists everywhere. They're burning down buildings. And uh, as a result of that, he declared a national emergency. Now... We'll come back to that in a second. But can you think of any, any other historical figure in history that uh, was a highly possessed by the devil and uh, represents the beast of the book of Revelation who maybe had burnt down his own city and then blamed all the Christians for it as an excuse for global persecution? Who knows that name? 
Who knows the guy who, who played the fiddle as Rome Bird? Huh? Nero. Nero, that's right. Nero, it's so interesting how, how similar this is to the beast of the book of Revelation, Nero. It's very interesting. It's fascinating. So he blames the communists and he sets out persecuting the communists. Now, it's important that he, he blames the communists because those are his political rivals. You see? He's a, he's a national socialist, which is a different form of socialism than communism. He wants uh, individual freedoms um, and uh, he doesn't want collectivists. He doesn't have the same kind of collectivism, but it's still a, a socialistic government, you know, mixed with corporation power sort of a thing. We'll talk about, about um, Nazism later. But uh, he uses the fire and the communists crawling about to declare a national state of emergency. And that gives him absolute power over the entire nation. Now, have you ever heard of any other politicians using a national state of emergency as a precursor for taking more power than has been granted to them lawfully or constitutionally? Of course you don't. Of course you have, but you don't have to say it. Of course you have. But yes, this is something that has happened um, over the years. And so we will uh, we'll talk about his worldview next time, but that's just a little intro.